a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It's lovely to be with you this morning. And uh, what a fantastic venue you've got here as well. And... uh, I suppose the trouble is that, particularly at the back, it's been very tempting to fall asleep. Is that right? <laughs> um, but I'll try and keep you awake. Um, Graham's asked me to actually speak on a particular theme today, and the theme is that of grace. So we're going to look at the subject of God's grace. The theme of God's grace is a very, very big subject. We're only going to be able to look at it uh, to a certain degree today. Not only is it a big subject, it is possibly one of the most vital subjects in the whole of the Bible, to be honest. It's describing what Jesus has done for us. And it flows out of our worship time when we were encouraged not only to bring our love to Jesus, but also to really think properly about the fact that he loves us. And so I want to undergird that, really, this morning by looking at God's word. If if God's mercy is us not getting what we deserved, i.e. God's judgment, the wages of sin is death, if that's God's mercy, then God's grace is us freely receiving what we could never achieve or earn or deserve, or work for, um, for ourselves. So I want to turn, please, to Galatians. If you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, and from verse 26. Galatians 3, verse 26. You, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, 
How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. In verse 26, it says this, You are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That really describes the grace of God. It's telling us, if we are Christians, who we are. It says that we are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there was a battle going on uh, within the Galatian churches. And the Apostle Paul takes on this battle. And it's a battle of law and grace. And he takes it on by clearly stating that we are saved, we are completely and utterly forever saved by faith in Jesus. We were not saved by the law, we were not saved by religion, we were not not saved by good works, we were saved by faith in Jesus alone. Now the letter to the Galatians, similar really I suppose to the letter to the Ephesians, to the Colossians and to the Romans, is really a radically dangerous book to read. It's confrontational. And I believe that some of what I'll be saying today is going to be confrontational. Because what it does is it attacks the present, the, the present desire of men to try and achieve salvation by their own efforts. And also the great tendency of so many Christians to attempt to live the Christian life in their own strength in a rather legalistic way. Now, legalism is found in the breeding ground of any heart or any group or indeed any church which is not presently living and existing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Formerly, the Galatian churches were doing just that. In Galatians 5 verse 1, it describes the the glorious freedom that is ours in Christ. When the Spirit of God is present, there's liberty, not bondage. There's cooperation and humility, not competition. When the Spirit of God takes over, there are genuine, spontaneous works of Christ, not laziness. There's glory to God, not fear of man. When the Holy Spirit takes over, the believer who struggles to ever set himself free finds freedom. As he lives by the Spirit, as he lives by the Spirit, he finds that all he wants to do is to glorify God. That's what it says in Galatians 5 verse 16. Now the opposite of that glorious freedom that we have in Christ is legalism. Now, what is legalism? Legalism is basically anything. Anything that suggests that you have to do or observe something to make yourself holy or to make yourself more holy. It is faith in Jesus Christ that makes us entirely 
holy. Impossible to improve on that. Indeed, whenever we try and improve on that, we always end up going backwards, never forwards. And here the, the, the Jews had fooled this region of young Galatian churches. It's probably a similar age as, as you are in terms of church life. Had fooled this region of Galatian churches into believing that the law could make them to be somehow better Christians. Now anything that's motivated with an aim to try and make yourself more acceptable to God is legalism and is wrong. So let me give you some examples. Praying harder in order to try and become more holy. Observing certain days. What you eat or do not eat. What you drink or do not drink. Fasting. Getting up at five o'clock in the morning. Many of those things I've mentioned are good things. But subtly erroneous if done with even a hint of a motive of trying to make yourself more holy or more acceptable to God or more spiritual. Now, this is very, very important because it's important because our old nature will always feel an attraction to the law. Now, why is that? The reason why is because the law. It enables us to measure just how successful I'm doing. Or perhaps, you know, how bad I've been this week. I didn't do this. I didn't read my Bible. I, didn't pray. I haven't prayed very much this week. Oh, how terrible I am. Or perhaps even worse, how good I've been this week. I've done this for Jesus and that for Jesus. And a little bit of pride and self-righteousness creeps in. No, we don't need legalism in order to live the Christian life. All that we need to live the Christian life is found in the free provision of Jesus, the grace of God. It's all there in him. Now here in this letter, if you read through the Galatian letter, Paul is absolutely heartbroken. He's astonished. He's even angry. Because the Galatians were deserting God's wonderful grace. They were abandoning liberty for legalism. And they were doing it so quickly, not giving time for the Holy Spirit to really teach them. And that's a danger we must heed too. You know, the enemy, the enemy always create, creates an atmosphere of intensity. Whereas the Holy Spirit creates an atmosphere of peace and order. Whenever you're in an intense situation, be careful not to let the enemy intensify that. The Holy Spirit, when he's present, always a sense of peace and order. Let me give you another definition of the grace of God. Let me add to what I've already said. The grace of God. Grace is God's free, unmerited, undeserved gift of eternal life to completely undeserving sinners. Grace is God's free gift of salvation. Grace is God's provision and promise to supply all that we need in every circumstance and situation of our life 
to help us live in a godly way. Grace finds all of its initiative in the giver, in Jesus. None in the receiver. And it's all received simply by faith in Jesus. It's Jesus Christ who does it all. Now, all other false gospels, all other religions and systems require man to do something. And they make the promise conditional. And instead of bringing enduring assurance, they bring instead only enduring uncertainty. The grace of God, and we need to apply this to ourselves, the grace of God completely forgives every sin we've ever done. He freely justifies us, and he never condemns us. And it's all received by faith. Now this should mean that some of, you know, we should be smiling at this point. <laughs> if you're a Christian, this is, this is the package that you've received. We've got a good deal out of this, haven't we? Jesus has done it all for us. You see, grace does not highlight our performance in terms of what we do or don't do. Rather, grace highlights our position, the position that Christ has won for us, and it highlights the position that we came into the Christian life with. Let's read verses 4 to 6 once again. Verses 4 to 6, once again, of chapter 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. He's telling us here that we are sons. Now, if you're a female, <laughs> it's all rather confusing, isn't it, with the Bible? Because you know we're called the bride of Christ, and the, the, the male members sort of struggle with that, some, some of the idea of that. Um, and here, the Bible is calling us all sons, and some of you ladies, you may think, but you know, just go with it. We are all sons. We are children of God. In Jesus, we received adoption. There is only one way in to the Christian life. Only one way in. And that one way in is to be born again, to receive a spiritual birth. The Bible says that before we were Christians, we weren't spiritually sick beforehand. We were spiritually dead. We were cut off from God, no relationship with God. God couldn't look upon us because of our sin. But now, through Jesus... Jesus dying in our place to save us, we've now been given spiritual life. So there, was only, there is only one way into the Christian life through Jesus. And there is only one result of being in, and that is adoption. The New Testament word for adoption means this, to be placed to be placed as adult sons. To be placed as an adult son. Adoption is all to do with our position or our standing in the family of God. Our position in the family of God is not as little children. Our position is as adult sons 
with all of the rights and privileges of sonship. Now, let me explain something. When a person becomes a Christian, their spiritual, their new condition, condition, their new spiritual condition is that of a spiritual baby, to quote 1 Peter 2, verses 2 to 3. Their new condition is that of a spiritual baby. And as a spiritual baby, they need to grow up into the person that they have become. However, as far as their position is concerned, position, they are an adult son from the moment of their salvation, and they can draw upon their father's wealth from the very first moment of their salvation. It's a bit, if I could give another illustration, it's a bit like being married. When I, I've been married now for 32 years. And um, when I got married to Jill in, in, on the 16th of July, 1977, I received a new position and a new condition. My new p- position was that of Jill's husband. And over the last 32 years, no matter whether I've had good weeks or bad weeks at being a husband or not, my position has never changed. I'm still her husband. But I also received, on that day in in 1977, I received a new condition. And my new condition was that of a newlywed. And I've had to learn a few things over the years in terms of how to be the person I now am, her husband. And how I can outwork that. So we've got, to, we've got to think more and more as Christians positionally rather than conditionally. We've got to grow into it, yes, but we've got to keep thinking about our position in Christ. We've been born into the kingdom of God as sons. And to quote verse 7 here, it says, And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Now, a son's inheritance can only ever reflect his father's wealth and standing. I tell you, our Heavenly Father's wealth is pretty impressive. And our Heavenly Father's standing in the universe is beyond measure. We have a dad who is beyond everyone else. We have the supreme Heavenly Father, and he looks upon us as his children, because that's who we are. And we've got to learn, you know, to stand in our inheritance. Don't go back to legalism and strife. Legalism is not a step towards maturity. Lots of do's and don'ts is not a step towards maturity. It's a step back into childhood. The law was not God's final revelation. It was only a preparation for the final revelation of God, which is Jesus Christ. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Let me give you another um, example of that. It's like if someone who knows the, the ABCs of the alphabet has a foundation for understanding all of the English language. But for someone to go into a library and sit there in a library and just recite his ABCs all day, Rather than, rather than take advantage of the vast range of literature all around him or her, that person is not showing how mature he is, rather how immature he is. And it's a bit like that in the Christian life. You know, reciting scripture, reciting scripture. Now, that's a good thing to do. 
reciting it, speaking it out to each other. That's a good thing to do. That's valuable. Now, knowing scripture, that's even better. That's excellent. Going on different training courses, being well informed about the Bible, that's excellent. But there's something better than that. Knowing it in order to do it, that's maturity. That's taking hold of your position as a son and heir. That's behaving as a Christian. Knowing it in order to do something with it. And verse, verse 5 clearly states that God has sent his son to redeem us from the law. It's all in the past tense. He's done it. It's happened. It's historic. It's spiritually grounded. It's happened. He's redeemed us. Now, to redeem means to set someone completely free by paying the full price. I mean, our problem is, is that we live in credit card you know, days, don't we? And we put a, a sort of a portion of the money down and we pay the rest in installments. Jesus did not come and pay the first installment. He didn't even put down nine-tenths of the installment to have us. He paid the entire price. He came to set us completely free. So don't now put any trust in the law or in your ability to keep to it. Rather, keep trusting in Jesus and, and in his revealed provision to you. Now, he hasn't redeemed us to make us slaves. He's redeemed us to make us sons. He hasn't redeemed us to make us employees. Sometimes we behave like employees with the boss looking on. No, he hasn't done that. And he hasn't saved us to put us on probation either. We're not on probation. This is it. We've received the whole package. He's made us to be sons. This is what we are. Sons and heirs. This, if you're a Christian, this is who you are. Why don't we just say that together? I am a son and heir of God. Let's say it. I am a son and heir of God. Let's say it once more, because just get it really deep into you. I am a son and heir of God through Jesus. Yeah, that's who we are. And I mean, the, the whole of the Godhead were involved in this. God so wanted you. God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son died on a cross. God the Son sent the Holy Spirit to come and live within us. The fullness of God Almighty were and are involved in your story. And he's made us to be sons, not slaves, not employees, sons. And Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4 is really about the difference between being a son and a slave. The Galatians were behaving, really, um, at best. The Galatians were, at best, behaving like the prodigal son who was mentioned by Jesus in Luke chapter 15. Most of you know the story of the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance, the inheritance uh, from the father, he went off and he squandered the whole lot, everything, on loose living, on all kinds of stuff. Spent the whole lot, wasted it, 
wasted his inheritance. The whole lot was gone. And he ended up living in the pig squill, eating the same food as the pigs, which was especially offensive for a Jew. And so he, th- he thought to himself, on my father's estate, the slaves are treated better than this. I think I'll, I'll go back and see whether my father would have me back as a, as a slave. And so he goes back. And you know, the, the prodigal son, he wanted what he thought he deserved. He thought the best he could deserve was to be a slave because he's just messed it up. And sometimes as Christians, we think like that. We mess things up. The opportunities we've messed up, the, 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 the things that God's done for us, we, we blow it, don't we, sometimes? Or I do. And we, we want what we think we deserve. But the Father doesn't understand this in, in Luke 15. The Father, you, 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 a slave, you're, you're, you're my son. And, and you know the story, he rushes out, not to condemn the prodigal son, but he puts a, a, a ring on his finger and a robe around his shoulders and he calls a par, uh, for a great celebration, they kill the fatty calf. It's celebration, celebration. God wants us to be what he's made us to be. He hasn't made any of you to be slaves. No matter what you've done, where you've been, how well you've done, it doesn't matter. God wants you to be what he's made you to be. This is a, perhaps a provocative thought, but nevertheless an accurate one. The prodigal son, whether he was in the pig swill, in the brothel, or in the royal palace, he was still the son of the king. Performance did not affect his position. Now, obviously, the fact he was away from the father, getting involved in all kinds of stuff, meant he wasn't enjoying the fellowship and, and communion with the father. Yes, they, they both missed out. But, as, but wherever he went and whatever he was doing, as far as the father was concerned, he's my son. And God looks upon us like that. And if we get this deep into our spirit, it can radically change our lives. Sons and slaves are totally different. The son has the same nature as the father. The slave does not. And when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And we become partakers of God's divine nature, to quote 2 Peter 1 verse 4. The law could never put God's nature into anyone. All that the law could do was to reveal to us the holiness of God and our desperate need for God's nature. But now having received Jesus, now to go back to a focus on the law is to deny the very nature of God within us. And so as Christians, our exclusive focus must be upon the the provision of Christ, the grace of God, or the promises or what it means to be a Christian, are are ours. See, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, that the law once had rights over your life, pointed the finger. You shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing this. And we went off and did that and did that, which we shouldn't have done. And Jesus came and fulfilled the demands of the law. And all that we did was to come to Jesus, and we came to him and by faith... 
And we were saved simply by faith. That's all we did. And in Galatians 3.25, Galatians 3.25 says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So because of Jesus, God is now our Father. Sons have fathers, slaves have masters. And to the born-again sinner, God gives his spirit, his nature. And it's that work of the Holy Spirit within who brings deep witness that we are indeed God's children. That's why we cry out, Abba, Father. We can call him Father, address him as Father. And it's the work of the Spirit within who then produces characteristics of our Father's character into and through our lives. It's totally different. You see, sons obey out of love. The slave obeys out of fear. And as, so as, as we go out through a Christian life, as our lives are continuously and permanently filled with the Holy Spirit, so what happens? Our love for God grows. Our, our love for one another grows. And Galatians 5.22 says that that is what happens. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. That means the effect of the Spirit's ministry the present effect, the ongoing effect, the after effect of the Spirit's ministry is love and joy and peace and faithfulness and all the others. And so if you ever observe um, a lack of love in someone, that is an indicator that that person needs to receive more of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Because when the Holy Spirit impacts our lives, we're full of love for Jesus. We are full of love for each other. We're even full of love for those we don't really like, those who hate us and use us. Romans 5 verse 5 backs this up. Romans 5 verse 5 states that the love of God is, permanent tense, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit within is always producing love. Now what does love produce? Love produces obedience. So when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're full of love for Jesus. When you're full of love for Jesus, you're full of obedience. And that's what Jesus said would happen in John 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15, where he said this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now you can read that in one of two ways. Most of us read it in the wrong way. Most of us read it like this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Prove it, sort of thing. No, that's not. That's wrong. But it, he meant this: if if you love me, you you will obey. You just can't stop yourself. If if you love Jesus, you just can't stop yourself obeying. You just can't stop yourself giving. You can't stop yourself being nice and kind and forgiving. You just can't. If you love him. So the the issue is this: Do you love him? Do you, do you really love him? Or has your love for him grown cold? If you're trying to obey without love, then you're living upon a legalistic treadmill of self-effort and failure. Trying to obey will never produce anything but a a short-term burst of legalistic effort that leads to failure. Rather, what we should be doing is loving Jesus. As we love him, you will obey him. 
So be filled with the Spirit and you'll love him. And if you love him, you will obey him. That's the nature of it. That's what God does. He does it for us. Sons, you see, are rich. Slaves are poor. Since we've been placed as adult sons in the family, we can draw upon our inheritance right now. In fact, in in any moment of any day, no matter how we've done or where we've been. And so we can, right now, for example, God has made available to all of us right now, it says, the riches of his grace. To quote from the last ever will and testament of God in Ephesians 1 verse 7. We can, all, we can all do that. God hasn't ch- The New Testament is the final word of God on every issue. This is scripture. This is God's word. This is not my thoughts. This is God's words. Your future is, is, is so rich. All of the riches of God are found and freely made ours in Christ. They are not hidden away for some elite saint. Rather, they're found and given to sons and heirs of Christ. Sons and heirs of Christ are Christians. People that have got to the end of themselves and said, Lord, I give you my sin. I repent of my sin. Be my saviour. And God takes over from that moment. So I I really want to encourage all of us to, to go to this book, the Bible, and locate your treasure And as you go to it, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, in a personal way, the rich inheritance that is yours in Christ. Because he will always strengthen you with all power, according to his glorious might, to quote Colossians 1 verse 11. We want to make an impact, don't we, wherever we go. I'm sure you want to make an impact in Derby the result and the impact of your Christian life will be the result and impact of God's grace and God's power upon your Christian life. Nothing but the flesh will happen without God. And spiritual growth can only happen according to the amount that we are yielding to God's power, God's truth, God's words, Applying it to ourselves, thinking positionally, acting positionally, not being persuaded to think according to how we've been doing. It's in the way that you began that you must now continue. You were saved by faith in Christ alone. Now we are to live by faith in Christ alone. You began in the spirit like the Galatian church. Now you've got to continue walking the spirit. You started off, you were born again as a son and heir of God. Now be that. Think like that. Act like that. Put it on every day. Be sons and heirs of God. Take hold of all that is rightfully yours in Christ. That is God's grace. Let's stand together. I'd like us just to pray for a moment.
Let's be honest before the Lord because he doesn't want us to go round and round in circles on some kind of legalistic treadmill. Liberty, the work of the Spirit, walking with Jesus, that's our provision. Not, not some kind of legalistic treadmill where everything is so tough and down at heel and you're just exhausted. No, that's not what it's meant to be like. Father, you, you know each one of us. You know my own heart. You know where, Lord, we perhaps in some ways have drifted away from the foundation of grace. And, and Lord, where we've gone into a foundation of viewing ourselves according to our performance rather than your performance. Where we've, we're trying very hard, but it's become so hard. Lord, will you, Holy Spirit, come please and take us off any legalistic treadmill today in Jesus' name. Lord, where our hearts have grown cold and our love for you has been replaced by many, many things, good things, but nevertheless, that love is not where it was. Lord, would you, would you fan those, the, 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 the flames of love again, please? Where we've grown cold, Lord, will you reignite? Thank you that you love to come to us. You love to bless us. Holy Spirit, would you just come now, please? You might like to just be open to the Lord, perhaps even lift your hands to God. And if in your own heart you know that actually... You've been, it's been a bit of, of strife, really. Strife has replaced grace. And you're not thinking about yourself as God has been thinking about you. God, God sees you. God sees you as complete, wrapped up in his full provision. But you see yourself as a broken pot. Perhaps sometimes you even think of yourself as a waste of space. Why on earth did God save me? And that, that sort of lie comes from the pit of hell. Jesus loves you, as we heard you in the worship time. Perhaps your love has grown cold, or perhaps you just, yeah, I just, I just drifted away from God's grace. If you, if you know that that's, you identify with that, to just lift your hand before the Lord where you are at the moment. Holy Spirit, just come, please. Minister to our needs, please. I'd love to, I'd love to pray for those that, that a number of you just put your hand up. Just to, just to, this, today will be a moment of restoration, personal restoration, personal recovery to the, to the original plan, which is the grace of God. Perhaps we could have a, a guitarist or someone just... Um, playing lightly in the background. Don't be half-hearted. One of the things that God hates is half-hearted lukewarmness. He wants us to be on fire. He couldn't cope with that in Revelation with his church. He won't cope with it today. He wants us to be 
He, he, he wants to come in. He wants to come in and invade. He wants to take over. He wants to strengthen you. Bless you. So if you would like us to pray with you, I'd like to invite you just to come down to the front, please. If you've responded. It takes more bravery responding in a big auditorium like this. But there's actually a much bigger auditorium called heaven. And the God who is in that bigger auditorium than this sees you and loves you and wants to help, wants to bring his grace to you. So it's like to spread out on the front. Just for a moment, another moment. If you want to just come be prayed for, we'd love to pray for you. As you come, Holy Spirit, please. And those of you that have responded, just lift your hands to God and, and just begin to respond with faith. You are God's children. Whether you're responding at the front or not, you are God's children. Perhaps if some of the, um, your team could just join with us at the front and just begin to pray for people. Need some more, please. For others here, I, I hardly ever say this but I will say this, that this message today, I would encourage you (laughs) to get the CD or whatever you do and listen to it many, many, many times over. It is so foundational and yet it is so crucial to the type of life you're going to have. So I would encourage you to perhaps to listen to this again and Get hold of books, Terry Virgo's written, God's Lavish Grace, the Grace of God. It is the number one key issue that churches struggle with in the New Testament, and we often do today. We must become strong at this, brothers and sisters. As, as Jesus said to, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's just keep in an attitude of prayer, all of us. We supply the weakness. He supplies the power. His grace is sufficient regarding every moment and situation. So in the situations that you're facing, whether it's at work, at home, whatever it is, give to him your weakness and say, Father, would you 
This day give me grace to be more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. To be a display of your gospel in the world. To be a genuine witness of the work of the Spirit in my workplace, in my home, wherever I go. A demonstration of your power working in a very weak and feeble vessel. Father, we give to you our lives. We say, please, keep encouraging us in the weeks to come with the ongoing offer, the ongoing provision, the never-ending promise of grace upon grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.